Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. This is Harriet Kemmer, the host of Down to Earth. It's the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter. And apparently a lot matters this morning. <laughs> Who watched the Oscars last night? For the first time, I watched the Oscars in about maybe four or five years. I kid you not. I actually didn't mind it. I didn't stay up late enough for them to finish their whole spiel on Best Actor because you could tell where this was going after a while. The, the Korean film Parasite, my daughter watched it, has seen it. I have. But she says it's worth watching. So after a while, you could tell where this was going. But it was nice to see Brad Pitt out, wasn't it? Did you all enjoy that? Oh, it was nice. And I'm still sitting there like, he's supposed to be eternally young. What happened? You know, you're looking at him like, no way. You know, life is getting on when Brad Pitt is, is, is getting on, right? And it was nice to see to see all of that. The Oscars were, they were trying to really not make the Oscars so white. They really, really tried. And I guess the inclusion of a foreign, of, you know, instead of calling them foreign films, they're now international films. And I appreciate Hollywood extending their hands across the ocean to incorporate others because American films are seen in every part part of the world. So that was a good thing. That was a good thing. So shout out to them for being culturally sensitive to changing times and changing times, right? There are people all over the world who love what we do. They love watching uh, films. And so they make their own films representative of their culture as well. So it was good to see that. It was good to see that. Um, I haven't seen the film Harriet yet, uh, uh, set on Harriet Tubman, because I gather in that film, they're rewriting history, kind of. Like they're adding some white guy who became her savior that is not reflected in the historical record. So I'm not sure that that is an authentic depiction of the story. So I'm probably not going to see it. So to hell with that one. <laughs> and the actress who plays the role is not also not American. And I, I couldn't understand why they couldn't find an American actress to play that role. And then she said, you know, she said some disparaging things against American blacks. So I guess she's going to be on her own for a while. She's going to be hanging out there for a little bit. So too much of that. And then... Uh, in case you haven't noticed, there's some controversy going. As you know, I like uh, CBS News in the morning, right? That's my preferred channel because I think they do a better morning show. I, I'm not sure that I enjoy a morning TV show that is based on entertainment and the constant barrage of celebrity stuff that the other channels like NBC and so on. I'm a, I, I get tired of that. So for years now, I've been enjoying CBS because I think they authentically provide you with news, right? But this story with Gail King and so on kind of turned me off a little bit. I expected Gail to be a little bit more uh, sympathetic or empathetic of people's pain, but I guess that was too much to ask, yeah? So I'm not sure that I'm going to continue supporting her. And I've been a fan of that network. I liked their show for, you know, like their morning show. But uh, after that, I thought it was a bit insensitive. That is not to say that Kobe was not accused of raping a girl in the bigger context. It did happen. He was accused. The girl did say it happened. And like everything else, it is what it is. But the same week that he died, it happened 17 years ago, 
doesn't negate it, but she's not coming forward to say anything. I thought Gail could have treated it with a little better sensitivity. You know, it seems like sensitivity is gone, don't you think? Unbelievable. But today is Monday. It's a big day for me, and here is why. Nine years ago, in 2011, I published my first, my third book at this time of the year. And, and the reason I'm talking about this is because it occurred to me as I sat and looked at the calendar this morning that at the time when I was publishing it, everybody was like, the people around me were like, why are you publishing a book? Uh, you know, no one will take you seriously. Nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to listen to you. And all the naysayers were just in there talking about it. And it's a good thing I didn't listen to them. I followed my heart and published that book. That book became my launching pad and has opened doors and pushed me onto platforms and national stages that I would never have access otherwise. It's proof positive that you can't listen to people who tell you that they're offering you constructive criticism. You have to be careful about that. Be careful about who you listen to because sometimes people are mistreating you and are offering you misguided advice under the, the, the color and under the image of constructive criticism. They call you because they see you progressing and perhaps you are doing something that they don't have the gall to do or they don't have the wherewithal to do. So they're watching you reach for something that is going to make you exponentially successful more than they are, and therefore they want to discourage you just because they're not doing it. They can't do what you do. You have to be careful of people who offer you constructive criticism. It's often cloaked in hatred and jealousy. And you don't know what it is until you listen to it. So you have to learn to be careful. So on this Monday, especially for those of you who you have something you want to do, but the people around you are trying to tell you that you shouldn't do it. They discourage me from going on radio. They discourage me from doing podcasting. I mean, back then I had to explain what a podcast was, that this was going to be where radio will eventually be because of the uh, uh, exponential increase of the internet. I said it was going to give me a wider audience that could reach more people around the world, which was my goal. That was my dream. So I'm encouraging you today to follow your dream because you just never know where it can lead you. I followed my dream. And to be honest with you, my friends, today I am so glad that I did. If I had sat down and listened to everybody who told me not to follow my dream, or who discouraged me, I would be in a royal mess right now. And the situation I was in was not ideal. The situation I was in, I didn't have a college degree. I was barely supporting myself and my two children. I had two children in two different school districts. Nobody supported me financially, nor did I have emotional support. I didn't have. So sometimes when you listen to me, I know you probably think this lady is too strong. But you didn't walk in my shoes, and you didn't have to experience what I experienced. And I guess I had to go through that. So it gives me, it makes me stand strong. It kind of puts me in a place where I'm so accustomed to going it alone that if I ask on the left or on the right and nobody is with me, I'm like, well, I guess I just have to do this one alone. Okay, sucks to be you. I'm keep it moving. 
And you have to learn. And the third thing I want to say on this Motivation Monday is learn to go it alone. You ever wonder why the air at the top is so, it's so rarefied? You know why when you get to the top, there are only a few people there? It has to. You have to trim yourself to get up. Yeah, it, it's like a tree growing. The taller the tree grows, is the less branches it has. If you keep going and spreading out and spreading out, eventually they're going to cut you down. So be careful when you have your dream whom you share it with, right? Be careful whom you expose yourself to. Be careful even the atmosphere who are around you. Sometimes I have found, I know I'm working on something big because I find myself alone. I find that I'm alone a lot because there are so many naysayers, so many people. They have this to say, that to say. And when I look at what they have done, I'm like, show me your track record. Then you can come back and talk to me. Right? So I'm so glad I'm looking at you. And I'm listening to you, and I'm like, I'm so glad that I followed my dream. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's going to be you. At the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable for what you didn't do that you could have done. And the last thing you want to do is live in regret. On this day, nine years after I published my third book, Through the Fire, I am so glad that I'm not sitting here nine years later wishing I had done it whenever and then I and the good the thing is once it was published and it was a reality that's when I realized just like I suspected that a lot of the people offering me constructive criticism were just jealous that's when I realized that their comments were designed to deflate me and to turn me away from something that they could see would make me and launch me into different categories so now I'm like, they don't matter, right? And you have to have that. It's part of your grooming and part of your strength training to make you stronger on the inside, stronger in your heart, stronger in your mind, where you think, stronger in your emotions, that you get so used to doing it alone that even if someone comes along, if they don't say, okay, thank you, goodbye, I guess I have to trim you too. I guess you've come as far as you could go, and this is where you get off. I often refer to the journey of life as a train. So your life is like a train, right? You're pulling into the station. And as you as you start on the journey, different people join you, right? And as you go along, some people get off and some get on. They're only there for a particular time of the journey. And then after that, as they get off, don't try to hold on to them. When they're getting off on the platform, that's their stuff. That's where their intersection with your life has just stopped. So don't let that deter you, neither let it stop you from accomplishing your dream. We often, even if you were born a twin, most of us were not born. To, some people just can't stay in your life. You have to look at yourself. The greatness about you is such that it is intimidating and terrifying to others. There are some people who don't have the mental fortitude that you have. I know there are times when we don't see you and when you cry and you give up and you throw stuff. It's human and it's natural. There's some people who, for whom, if they see that or are exposed to that, it would kill them. Some people would go nuts. But for you, it is your life and it is your dream. Follow your dream. Because at the end of the day, when you lay down in that pine box, if you ever get, if you die and you're lying down in a hospital bed 
and you have to think about your life. You don't want to live in regret that I never did something that I felt I was born to do or I never did something that I felt was significant for me to do. I never did something that I wanted to do. I never did something that could have been meaningful, something that I know in my heart I was prepared and born to do. And that will make you, it determines how you live your life. You know, years ago when I lost my full-time job, that time had come for me, that intersection, that intersectionality of my life and destiny had come. And I couldn't continue working full-time while building this platform, building the stage for me to be on. And I didn't see it that way because I was single. I wasn't married. And I didn't have the support system financially nor emotionally to sustain a lifestyle. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? And I had to find a way. I had to learn that the fortitude was already in me to survive and to deal with what I had to go through so that I could make it out on the other side. It cost me a lot. It cost me friendships. I don't even know the relationships between me and my children probably are permanently fractured as a result of that. I kid you not, because it affects different people in different ways. People are marked as a result of it. All I could say was, trust me, it's going to work out. I just didn't know it would take this long. But in the end, I am grateful that I got a chance to be of service to someone else. In the end, I'm grateful that I got a chance to do what I believe I was called to do, to empower people, to expose some of the injustices that we see in the society, that hopefully, if we cast a light on it, it will better help us to understand why some things happen and why some people are the way they are, right? So this is why when you hear me talk about controversial issues, it's not designed to offend you, but it's designed to create an awareness as to why do these things happen. Where is this coming from? And because sometimes we live in disconnected circles. We don't recognize that what is happening today is as a result of something that happened 100 years ago that perhaps we never treated properly. And because we never treated it properly, here it comes back to haunt us 100 years later or 50 years or 20 years or 15 years ago. But it is part of what I do and it's part of who I am. And frankly, I'm going to tell you, just like you are finding out, some of the things that happened to you, you wondered why they happened. Well, you have a story to tell. So tell your story. Whether you're going to create a short story or whether you're going to tell the full impact of your story. Maybe you are not a writer. Maybe you're just a storyteller. Maybe the way you tell your story is different. Maybe you tell your story in the form of service to your community. Whatever you do, I know and you know, I am so grateful that you took you take the time to serve someone else. I'm so grateful that you have an opportunity to somehow find your purpose and live your life to the fullest. I kid you not, I have no plans for dying. I, I think death is afraid of me, right? I have no plans for that. But I must recognize that at the end of the day, I'm human and my body is organic. And if that day comes that I have to leave this earth, I'm telling you, I'm going to go out <laughs> protesting that I still didn't get a chance to finish what I set out to do. So I'm encouraging you on this, the 10th day of February. It's 31, it's 32 days, 30, 41 days into 2020. 
it's time for you to get moving. Don't just sit back. Don't push it off. Don't become distracted. Procrastination is the demon that keeps people from fulfilling their process and fulfilling their purpose. You know what I'm talking about. You're all looking at me like, "Mm." procrastination is a demon, right? Get off that procrastination demon and get busy doing what you know that you're called to do. Because sometimes it might just be me whom you bless, right? And it's worth it. The pain of the process is worth it. I tell you the honest truth, sometimes I don't remember the pain. I may have a memory of something, but I don't remember the pain associated with it. I just have the memory. And then I say to myself, that must have been painful. But I don't have the pain, the memory of the pain, just the memory of the event. And it's worth it. When you change someone else's life, when your life at the intersection of someone else's life causes them to view their circumstances in a different way, that's how you know you've had impact, right? And that brings me to what I want to talk about today because I've been talking about human trafficking. And much to my surprise, now there's more uh, information emerging on what human trafficking really is and how it started. And I'm finding, like most of us, a unique perspective that is coming from the pages of history, literally. And history, as recorded here in the U.S., and our our country is such a fascinating one where, you know, compared to other European nations, we're relatively new. And I often refer to this as the democratic experiment because we're still tweaking it, trying to make it work. But I think everybody can attest to the fact that we've made a great success of making it work because we're still free 220 years later and we don't have uprisings, right? I think it's because we we, we got the secret. You know what the secret is? Making everybody feel empowered and happy. As long as people feel like they have some control over their outcome, they're like, oh, okay. okay. Can I go to the movies now? Can I go watch a ball game? Then I'm good, right? Got my cable on, (laughs) right? So today I want to talk about something that I came across, and it's the myth of white slavery. Honestly, y'all, I forgot that this actually happened. I forgot that this happened in history. And I've been so focused on on human trafficking in our modern context. And I think most of you will will remember that I often reference human trafficking as modern-day slavery and that traffickers today use the playbook of slavery. But I have forgotten that there were there was white slavery. I, I've forgotten the historical precedent that was set. And it kind of yesterday, I think it was Saturday night, as I was preparing for something to say on Sunday morning, I came across the story and my producer brought it to my attention and said, this is something you should talk about. And I was like, oh, my God, I completely forgot that this actually happened. And so I want to bring it to your attention today with the hope that it will provide some clarity as to why in our world today we still have issues of human trafficking. And I want to show you the difference between uh, slavery, traditional slavery, shall we say, and modern slavery. And so it will bring some level of awareness and clarity. So when I talk about, when folks like me, talk about human sex trafficking, that you will see the context and will say, wait, 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 just like I did, whoa, 
We can't have that restart because we had worked so hard to get rid of it. So here in America and in Europe, in Western Europe in particular, the abolish, uh, abolition movement had begun. Abolitionists, headed by a guy named Wilbur Force, everybody knows him as the guy who started the Lutheran Methodist churches, right? Everybody is familiar with him. William Wilberforce, right? And they began to say that chattel slavery, the enslavement of black people, was morally wrong and was unchristian-like, and it was not something that could be done. However, Western Europe and uh, some people in Western Europe and America felt like, well, within the context that it provides financial freedom, it may not be so, it may not be wrong. And if we have to continue to enslave black people to make white people rich, then it definitely is not wrong. That was the prevailing idea at the time. So after slavery ended, when Wilberforce and other abolitionists began to propagate and began to uh, express their desire to end traditional chattel slavery, slavery, of course, meaning the ownership of one human being of another should tell slavery so you are treated like property. When Wilberforce and other abolitionists began to propagate for an end to this, naturally what happened was an awareness that maybe this is not the Christian thing to do. And so after slavery was abolished in the, in the early 1800s, believe it or not, the movement to end slavery began in the, in the 1700s. Can you believe it? Makes you wonder why did it continue, right? You're going to see it in just a minute. And so when they began that movement to end it, by 1808, it was illegal. Slavery as an institution became illegal in Britain. Can you believe it? Naturally, over here in America, where we are always more aware than anybody else, it was time for this thing to be done. That's what started the war between the states, right? And the secession of certain states from the Union, right? But what happened out of that was what is called a social purity movement. It was the idea that white women were middle class, Christian evangelicals, came, started these social purity movements that really said that if men are going to have sex, then sex needs to take place within the context of heterosexual, love-based, monogamous relationships, because those were best factored and created in the image of the divine nature. And that is what the divine would want human beings to do. So in other words, sex outside of the context of heterosexual unions, heterosexual monogamous unions, was considered immoral. But we know that even as much as we might have the desire to do what is right morally, there will always be people with what? Nefarious intentions. Well, they existed back then as much as they exist now. So defenseless white women who were essentially defenseless were pulled into what is called white slavery because they had no defense. They were considered demoralized. And so they were exposed to a form of sexual violence and physical violence through deceit and drugs that pulled them into what is called white slavery. They were forced into prostitution. 
Matter of fact, let me give you some context. The Mann Act of 1910 describes white slave traffic acts. I kid you not, the Mann Act. And here's what it says. It criminalizes the transportation of women and girls across state lines for the purpose of prostitution and immoral purposes. That was in 1910. I, I felt like I needed to just stop there because that just this so here's what happened. So men decided that so this now you understand why to this day we still believe in marriage and still believe in heterosexual unions and still believe in monogamy. You see now because we're always thinking historically. We're always thinking that if they did it back then if there are defenseless women today, guess what? They're going to continue to propagate. Now you understand why human trafficking exists. The only difference between human trafficking as it operated then and now is, guess what? Today's human trafficking is not permanent. Today's human trafficking is temporary. It's physical and sexual enslavement, no less. But it's not a lifetime existence. Back then, a person was born into slavery, they stayed in slavery. Today, they snatch people, they they deceive them, they coerce them, they force them, they fraudulently get them to believe that they're going to provide something that they never do, but it is still not permanent. Just like then, people didn't engage in it. Most people who who are human trafficked do not identify as such and don't recognize while they're going through it that they're being trafficked. It's kind of what we call that fight or flight mechanism. You're just trying to survive to get yourself out of this. And you're seeking to get your way out of it. But violence is the commonality that covers this because people then were violent then and people are still violent today. So the they refer to it as white slavery to distinguish it from chattel slavery. But here's the deal. Here, here's the truth, where we call it a myth. The people who started the social purity movement, evangelical middle class white women, distinguished the enslavement of other demoralized white women, made a public outcry of it said it was morally wrong, ethically wrong, and it was against the divine nature of God. But at the same time, the enslavement of black women who were equally sexually and physically abused, there was nothing wrong with it. That's why we say white slavery was a myth. Because it did not depict and it did not follow the lines of chattel slavery which says that it was a lifetime, which says that black women were, de- were, were, no, were, were not human beings at all. And I know you're all saying, wow, yeah, this happened. That's why sometimes people say there are shameful parts of our past that maybe we should not revisit. But here's the thing. The past is a guide to the future. Because as a result of the Men Act of 1910 that prohibited the transportation of women across state lines for the exclusive purpose 
of prostitution, that's what trafficking is, because you're trafficking them, right? It set the stage for the 2000 law against human trafficking or trafficking in persons. And in, in the in, up until the year 2000, we were probably still looking at human trafficking as just a sexual part of it. At the time, labor trafficking was huge, domestic servitude, people who work in, in the agricultural sector. We all know that, right? Uh, so we were still looking at it from that perspective. But when it became clear that there was also sexual slavery involved, the government decided to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and the government, as under George Bush, George W. Bush, so they got together and said, we got to do something. So Christians got together and said, "This here we are. A hundred years later, we're still faced with the same conundrum. We got to do something about it. So they got together and started to advocate for an end to it, creating awareness. And providing solutions, the federal government literally opened up its coffers and said, here, we're going to provide some resources. So wherever folks, women, and children find themselves, we're going to help them to get out of it. It's amazing, though, that this is still continuing to today. And when you look at it globally, we find that women, white women from Eastern Europe, are still being trafficked into Western Europe are still being trafficked to other parts of the Americas. White women, they come here in containers every day, dropped off, picked up. They're forced, they're coerced, violence is applied to them, and fraudulent bases that we're going to take you to America, we're going to take you to Europe, we're going to take you to Spain or France or Germany or England in the hope that you will work. But once the trafficker gets them, they rip up their passports and confiscate their identification documents. So now they're nobody. How are you going to prove that you're a person? You're at the mercy of the trafficker. They put them in containers where they're transported on cargo ships like cargo. Sometimes they're shackled to prevent them from escaping and transported for the exclusive purpose of providing sexual services under the direction of a pimp or a trafficker, we like to call him, who collects money on that woman's head. It happens more than you know. Women from Eastern Europe, white women from Eastern Europe, are at risk anywhere. And, and here is the conditions that create these kinds of things. Uh, anywhere vulnerability exists, people are at greater risk for being trafficked. And there are a couple of things that, that, that uh, support these conditions that happen one of which is social and political upheaval. The social and economic situations that exist, exist today have created vast disparities in wealth. So you have people who are extremely wealthy, hence billionaires. Everybody wants to be a, be a billionaire, right? And people who are poor. And that's, that's a great vulnerability because now what happens to people who can't take care of themselves? They're at risk. For somebody to come in and show you, flash, you know, flash something in front of you that says you can, you can be better if you follow what I say, when in fact what they're going to do is sell you into, into, into human trafficking, whether it's labor trafficking, or cut your body open and take your organs, or sell you into sexual trafficking. The other part of it, of course, is corruption. 
We have also, we're also facing a lack of moral clarity where people view morality now as dispensable. We, we no longer have a guiding moral compass that says, maybe we shouldn't do that because it's wrong. Now we are like every man for himself. And so we find ourselves in this unique conundrum at the apex of the past and the present. That is determining the future. Anybody ever watch The Hunger Games? When I first watched that film years ago, my greatest fear was that it would become true. Just by watching it, I knew it was going to happen. I said, there, it, it's going to continue. This disparity between the rich and the poor is going to continue. And as it continues, vulnerable people are going to be seduced into working for nothing because they have no power. So I'm telling you all, go out and get your power. Make sure that you empower yourself and your families so that your young people, your women, your daughters will not be enslaved. Make sure. Guys, can I just ask you a favor? Stay with your wives and girlfriends. Stay with your children. Even if you divorce because you can't live, you say, Harriet, we, we just can't live in the same house, whatever. Don't abandon the children. Live in the same neighborhood. Live in the same state. Pick the children up drop them off at school, maintain some form of contact. Because when, whenever people are vulnerable, when you are not there, your lack of presence makes them vulnerable. And guys, do the same things. Even if she's your ex, be nice. She doesn't have a husband or a boyfriend, go over there and cut the lawn. Offer to pick her up. Her car is broken down, let her know. You can call me even if your car is broken down. Not in exchange for sex, because you're not going to get it free, okay? <laughs> right? Because you're not married. You didn't put the ring. You took the ring off that you put on it, right? But still stay there so people are not vulnerable, because traffickers have all the time in the world to observe whom they can attack, who is vulnerable, who do not have power, who cannot help themselves. And so they will target those people. And they will target your family, your children. And as much as you think your ex-wife may not be your current immediate family, but if you have children with her, if she hurts and the children know, they're going to come to daddy and say, what can you do? Right? And you're all nodding your head. Look out for your sisters. She might be married to someone. Well, who's she married to? Find out who this dude is. You know, she comes home and she's all excited. I met someone and we're going out. Get the dude's name and phone number and go do a Google search yourself. She doesn't have to know, but you are checking it out. Right? I'm calling on you guys. Can, can I just, I'm just going to be transparent for a bit. Can, can you believe that about me that I felt vulnerable? Can you believe that? After my marriage ended. And I had to move to Detroit, a city that I had no affinity with, that I didn't know anything about. I thought I was going to live in Central Florida forever and a day. And I had to move to Detroit. I had never felt so vulnerable in my entire life. All of a sudden, I realized that I had no support. If something went wrong, I didn't know who to call. It's a good thing I had my mother. She became my support. Do you see what I'm saying? Maybe that's why when she died. I, I felt it so bad because she became my emotional support and my safety net. That's probably why it bothered me so much. Because I didn't have 
a husband. And for the life of me, I just couldn't understand how much I couldn't see it. I was like, what's a big deal, you know? But now I see it. Because when a woman is vulnerable with children, it sets the stage for others to take advantage. I know some of you guys are like, she can't be vulnerable. She's living in the house that I bought and I'm paying the mortgage and I have to pay the mortgage. She's still vulnerable. She may not. And here's the thing. Here's a kicker. If you go to her and tell her she's vulnerable, guess what? What? She's going to do what? Yell in your face that she's not. You know why? You've identified her weakness. And at the back of her mind, she's thinking, if you see, others see it. You have no idea how somebody else is sitting there thinking she's a sitting duck. Because if she works, she gets child support and alimony. Somebody's thinking they could be enjoying that. And they're looking at your daughter and your son that could be part of their trafficking network. And you're all looking at me like this is crazy stuff. You best believe it happens. If children will talk, sometimes children don't say anything. And sometimes we meet people and we don't, we don't want to believe that people have nefarious intentions, but they do. They do. Sometimes they get into people's lives not because they want the woman. They want to have access to the children. They want to have access to what she has. It's, listen to me very carefully. Human trafficking is not a myth. I have just shown you the historical precedent that evolved from the 1900s, from the, from the late 1800s, after chattel slavery was abolished, where the enslavement of black people, Right? was abolished, there became what is called white slavery. That set the base for what is now modern slavery that we refer to as human sex trafficking. It never stopped. Shock, yeah. It is shocking. Because we're human beings, and wherever human beings exist, there's always what? Say it, good and they don't want you to think such a thing exists. They don't want you to think there's a dichotomy inside of us where we do good things, but we are also capable of doing bad things. They want you to think we're all hunky-dory. That's where the social purity movement evolved out of. That if everybody is exposed to the Christian way of life and the Christian way of thinking, then maybe we won't have bad things happen. People are people are people. They're going to do it because they think they can do it and get away with it. And they will set the stage. They will corrupt anybody just to make sure that they get it. It happens, right? So what can you do? You, the question you might be asking is, well, what's the way out? Let me give you some facts so that you, you, you can see where this is. Because maybe you might not believe it. Maybe you're saying, where, where Harriet get this from? And, and so on. White slavery happened because so, the social purity movement started by evangelical white women suggested that sex should only happen there. If they thought like that, what does that tell you? They recognized that people were what? Having sex outside the context of monogamous heterosexual relationships. They felt that it was a threat to society and the preservation of, of the sanctity of peace and harmony in society. So in an effort to do it, they, they, they said this can't happen because the stories of women who were either abandoned or whose husbands died, right, or who had gone to war, these women were suddenly left defenseless. We, we've all watched how the West was won and seen where other uh, 
plantation owners or, uh, you know, had to go to the neighboring, uh, uh, the neighboring property because that husband might have died. And suddenly the people on that farm were subject to, mar- to marauders, to people who were just going around and snatching up the women and leaving town and put her on the back of a horse and force her into prostitution a couple towns over. My friends, that has not stopped. It still continues to today. It was morally egregious because people probably felt like this shouldn't happen to white women. But you were all doing it to black women. Black women were sexually violated and beaten physically and were owned by people. And you all didn't say anything about it. And this is why, you know, for years, I couldn't understand why when I talked about human trafficking, I felt the pushback because I didn't realize the historical context. But I began researching to see, well, why are people responding like this? I said, do they realize that there are more white victims of human trafficking, human sex trafficking, than there are others? So when I talk about it, I'm not talking about black people only or black women or Hispanic women or native women. I'm talking about all women who are perceived to be vulnerable and powerless. Ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourself, right? Make sure you cover yourself appropriately. Make sure that you are secured and connected to the communities in which you live. And if you are divorced, for the love of God in Christ Jesus, I have never understood this wandering spirit that makes you get divorced and move to a whole town where you don't know anybody where you're not connected, and then your children start going missing, your dog, your cat, your children, and before you know it, you have to pack up to leave town because something, you've all seen the Lifetime movies, those are real. Because people will always be people. That element still exists. I can preach the love of God all I want, and I am still going to preach the love of God, but I recognize that there are still some people whom the love of God will never reach, even if they use their mouths to express it. They're still going to do wicked things because there is an evil nature. What happens to most of us, we just kill that evil nature. We just don't respond to it. When it rises up, we just don't pay it any attention. This is why most of you who follow me, when I talk about these things, you're like, but Harriet, that doesn't apply to me. You're right. Because you don't, re- you don't respond to it when it rises up. It's enough. You just don't deal with it. You're like, I can overcome it. But it exists in others. So it may not exist in you and I. We kill it, right? We don't feed it. We don't give it attention. But it exists in others. And this is what promotes and creates and supports the environment for slavery, for human sex trafficking to continue. So while today slavery has been illegal for two, it's 200 years, 220 years literally, Why are we still talking about the enslavement of people? Because there is that evil nature that exists. Wow. Wow. Right? Wow. So white slavery then was kind of a myth because they were empowered. Even even, uh, Irish, the Irish folks who were taken to, to, to the Americas to work. Remember? Because there was a potato famine in Ireland. And people couldn't find anything to eat, so they came over here and they were forced into domestic servitude and agricultural labor. But they worked on contracts. Slavery was a big deal back then, y'all. Black people were just treated worse 
than others because they did bring white folks to come over. They were the overseers. They didn't live in the same house as the planters. They just emulated what the planter did and carried out his wishes. Yeah? They weren't subject to the physical violence and the sexual violence. But they were not the empowered ones. So we have to be careful then as we look at slavery historically and in modern times. Because slavery still exists in the minds of others. And as long as it continues to exist, there is an environment in which it will proliferate. Right now, if you go to Bangkok and Cambodia, guess what? The first offering they're going to give you, do you want to have sex with a child? They pull children, they seduce them, they coerce them. They snatch them out of villages. They tell them that they're going to take them to the big city to work. Take them off their farm and take them to the big city where they're put in brothels, children before puberty, before they start having periods, and put them in brothels to exist at the desires of people who want to have sex with children, who are typically American and European because they have the affluence to travel all over the world. Do you see now why I say there is an evil that exists in all of us? It's just that we don't rise up. We don't allow it to rise up. Right? Amazing. Let me leave you with some facts today so we can all contemplate this. Right? Human trafficking today is temporary, but it's still physical enslavement. And here's what is the defining part about it. If a person is unable to leave a situation without fear of violence, guess what? That's human trafficking. Harriet is a living witness to that. That's what happened to me. My ex-husband forced me, confiscated my travel documents. I never saw my passport for years. He confiscated my travel documents. And I, if I tried to leave, he used the threat of violence. And when he didn't feel like threatening, he beat me up to enforce it. Right? 19th century abolitionist movements and late 19th and 20th century purative movements sort of were trying to combat human slavery. Because wherever vulnerability exists, other humans are going to take advantage of other people's vulnerability. Right? When we look at modern slavery today, we have to look at the historical precedent. And the historical precedent is that chattel slavery was what black people in the Americas were subjected to, whereas white women were forced and snatched and taken and brutalized and sexually violated and physically violated, just like that. But there was just a moral outcry because they were white. When it was happening to black people, it was like, okay, that's slavery. You're done. You have no talk. White slavery refers to white women who were held against her will, usually involving some combination of force, drugs, deceit. That is human sex trafficking. There are three conditions that lead to this. I just want to leave you with some facts that I made some notes just before I came on air so that we all have some context. We live in a world today where massive social and economic changes have promoted extreme wealth and extreme poverty. 
We also live in a world where in some countries there's corruption. And wherever governments don't protect their citizens, guess what? Those citizens are vulnerable. Are you happy you live in a country where the government protects its citizens? Trump doesn't joke with that crap. He's like, are you kidding me? He ain't coming over here. That's Trump all day. The American government seeks to provide protection for its citizens unilaterally. They police the borders. They make sure that when you and I go to bed at night, we feel safe. So we now, on the macro level, we have to make sure that we provide that same sense of security for our children. So here's what I suggest everybody does. Talk to your children. Even if you are divorced and you are constrained by legal mechanisms that dictate how often you talk to your children, still send them a text. It's going to help. Talk to your children. Find out who do they talk to. Who are your friends? Who, if, if you have them for a weekend and they keep talking about a friend, invite them to bring that friend over. Talk to the other parent, the, the custodial parent. The custodial parent and the non-custodial parent, you need to form a hedge of protection around your children because they are subject to being violated and to be trafficked without you even knowing. Do you know how many children are sexually trafficked and we all don't know about it? They are taken out of their homes at night to go perform sexual activities and you don't know about it and they're sent back home before you wake up in the morning. But we're not going to know if you don't know, if you live, choose to live in the land of oblivion. And if you choose to live where you don't matter. Right? So you have to look at, you have to look at what is it uh, that you are doing and that the rest of us are not doing that is promoting the opportunity for this kind of thing to happen. You have to look at it. You have to look at it within the context of this has got to stop. So I'm encouraging you, form a hedge around your children. They're still your children, right? Form a hedge around your female members of your family who might be on the outlying cause. You may not like their activities. You may not even like what they do, but still check in with them. Know where they are. Know who you're hanging out with. Talk to your friends and family. People like to post everything on social media. Can we minimize this? Stop telling everybody where you are going to be, when you are going to be there, and who you're going to be with. Stop telling everybody how often. I mean, it's the craziest thing sometimes. Have you ever read somebody's uh, Facebook post? Well, we're going to be here. Stop. Teach your children. Watch who they interact with on the social media apps that children use. They use apps like TikTok and Snapchat. Tell them to set their pages as private. So if someone sends them a friend request, they have some opportunity to review it. Knowing jolly well that sexual predators are out there watching your children when they get off the bus. Watching how your children, whom they go to which house and what time you get home from work. They're out there. They're watching, right? Right? 
so we gotta uh we gotta uh uh we gotta be able to to look at people right and, and we need to we need to uh we need to do that because so many times what we do is we just we're kind of like just motorized and robotized and going along right uh and they're giving me the wrap up signal let me see what else we need to tell you about uh so when you look at it, you're all looking at me like, that can't happen to me. Yeah, it does. That's what we all said. I said the same thing. I'm pretty sure my family members said the same thing, only to find out that I was being forced and held against my will and that I couldn't get out of it without violence, without the threat of violence. He used the threat of violence to control me. My travel documents were seized. At one point, he actually took my driver's license. I kid you now. Right? Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Stay with me. If this message has been a blessing to you, I really got to go. If this message has been a blessing to you, go to my website, harrietcamock.com. Continue to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Periscope, yeah? Um, Instagram, as well as view my podcast, my other podcast on Spotify. We're now on iHeartRadio. Right? We're now on iHeartRadio. It's Valentine's. It's the season of love. Tonight, tonight, say tonight, at 7 p.m. tonight, we will be interviewing Dr. Rhonda Maddox, who is a psychiatrist who specializes in relationships. So make sure you tune in at 7 p.m. Eastern right here. We will be talking about love in the season of love. God help us all. Right? Seems like we need more love. We can't have enough. Right? So stay tuned. Make sure you, you come back again and join me at that time. And I look forward, I certainly look forward to being with you. In the meantime, thank you so much, everybody, for being a part of our show today. I really enjoyed. See you later on this evening at 7. Be blessed, everybody. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth. Thanks, everybody. Be blessed. I declare they're going to kill me. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Be blessed. Wow.